0: Good morning. Um, Joe just went and got some coffee when he found out I was preaching. Feel free to go grab that if you need to. Um, it was really cool this morning to have Matthew and Amy doing all those all sons and daughters songs. One of, one of the regrets of the last few weeks, uh, and, and really it's all about me, um, is that uh, th- thanks to the uh, Amtrak derailment, I never did get to have that last trip that I was planning to take uh, on the train from New York. Um, and, uh, you know, never mind that people died, um, really it's about me losing out on a chance to take the train. Um, but uh, that, that music uh, from that group was kind of a, a fixture of the year for me. I used to listen to that on the way up on Monday mornings. I'm, I'm always going to associate that with the, the northeast quarter of Amtrak um, and with uh, reading uh, in the history of the Episcopal Church um, but uh, it, it's, uh, it was great to, to have that this morning. Uh, speaking of shout-outs, this is the end of Paul's shout-outs here at the end of Paul's chapter of shout-outs. Romans 16, the liner notes to Paul's ministry. And here he is giving his last shout-outs before he gives this magnificent doxology at the end. Timothy, our, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius. Jason and Socipiter, my relatives, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, and whose name is a great delight to middle school students speaking English, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Now, that's the same question I've been asking. What do you notice about these names and the people that Paul's talking about here? What do we notice about these names? Even the ones that Paul says are his relatives, his kinsmen. Gentiles. These are Gentiles. These are all Greek names, right? So, uh, Timothy, Lucius, Jason, or Lu- Lucius, Jason and Sosipater. Well, we know Timothy was uh, uh, half Gentile. Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. These are his kinsmen, but they have Greek names, which means that they are what kind of Jews? Uh, no, not probably not converts. They're probably Hellenized Jews. These are Jews from the diaspora. These are probably not people who were born and raised in Jerusalem who, who uh, went to uh, the temple constantly. These are people who would have gone if they were devout. They would have gone to the temple for major holidays, but they would have lived out their lives in the context of the local, of the local synagogue. They would have been uh, uh, part of the, the community of Jews who, um, who had sort of learned to, to fit in, who had assimilated into the world of the, the Roman Empire, into the Greco-Roman world. And uh, we don't know exactly who some of these people were. Jason, my namesake, this, he's, uh, he shows up. If He's the same guy and in Acts 17. He was in Thessalonica, and uh, he bailed Paul out when Paul, as usual, got into trouble because he was saying things people didn't like, and uh, and folk stirred up a crowd to go, uh, uh, to to uh, to start a riot against him, we find uh, Erastus, uh, if if he's the Erastus that whose name shows up in Corinth, uh, in, on on a pavement. There's a the, the famous Erastus pavement that archaeologists have found is a, a, a this this basically a pavement stone in Corinth which mentions Erastus as a a high official in the city, a fairly common name, but it could be the same guy. And and, uh, what we see here is that uh, that the gospel has spread, Uh, not only elsewhere we find out uh, shout-outs to people who are in the uh, the household of of important uh, officials, here we have an important official himself who is a follower of Jesus and our brother Quartus which could have been a nickname, could have been his real name. Cortus means fourth. Tertius means third. So we don't know if Tertius is the guy known as Trey or if he just was known as Tertius. But what we do know is that he's the guy who wrote this thing down. I, Tertius, who wrote the last 16 chapters of this thing, I finally get to say hi. <laughs> Greet you in the Lord. And then the Doxology. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me read that again. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. One more time. Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey Him. To the only wise God be glory forever, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. What's this about? This is about God. This is a fitting conclusion to this letter, which is also all about God, specifically about the way God is glorified through this story of which Jesus Christ is the center, Paul does say that he is giving glory to God who is able to establish you by my gospel. But I cannot emphasize enough, and if you remember nothing else of our series about Romans, if you remember nothing else from what we did from 2011 to 2015, if you remember nothing else from the 20. Eight months of preaching on the book of Romans. If you take out all the breaks and the summer series and Advent stuff that we did, Romans is not about you. No offense, God loves you and thinks you're cute and all, but Romans is not about you. Paul did not get up in the morning thinking, I cannot wait to write this letter about all these people that are going to follow Jesus. He did not lie awake at night wondering, well, what does this story of the gospel mean for people who follow Jesus? He just didn't. And I know this has been a disappointment to some of you. I I know that at parts of this parts of this letter where Paul is talking about God and what God has been doing throughout history, we've come to it with other questions. I know there are people who are disappointed that in that magnificent passage of chapters 9 through 11, we didn't talk about predestination. The reason why, that's not what Paul's talking about there in chapter 9. If you want to talk about predestination, we can talk about predestination. But Paul, in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, is not remotely interested in the questions that John Calvin was asking. What Paul is interested in talking about, first and foremost throughout this entire letter, is the glory of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. That is what got Paul up in the morning, the glory of God. And that was the question that kept him up at night. How is God's name being glorified in and through this story of Jesus? Yes, God's able to establish his people by this gospel. But Paul is way more interested in this gospel than he is in those individual people. This gospel, Paul says, is the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. This mystery for centuries was hidden, Paul says, was kept secret, was not fully revealed. But now... It has. And what's interesting is it has now been revealed, it's now been made known through those very prophetic writings in which it was hidden through all those centuries. It was hidden in those and now it's revealed through those by the command of the eternal God. And here we have Paul bringing out once again this theme of the tension between the continuity and discontinuity with what God was doing before. In the prophetic writings, we have this gospel that God has hidden. And now it's revealed, which means that it stands in continuity with what God was doing way back when through Israel in Torah with God what, what God was doing with the patriarchs even before then with God what God was doing in the nation of Israel and with its king David and through the writings and through the prophets so what God is doing in Jesus makes sense in light of all of that. It flows from all of that. It is not something that just gets parachuted in. It's not something that's entirely alien to all of that. It makes sense in light of what God was doing. There is a story that is continuous. It's a story of God's redeeming, reconciling work for all of his creation through his people but this revelation is also discontinuous. There's continuity, but there's also a break. There's also something different. There's also something new that was not there before. There's something that is now available. In verse 26, when you see that it's been revealed and made known, the translators are actually taking the Participles that are at the very beginning and the very end of that clause, they basically mean the same thing. But what Paul is saying is that this is something that is now visible. It's like we've now been able to see the unseen parts of the spectrum, stuff that was there all along. We're able to tune into the radio station, the Waves that were going all along that we didn't know about, we couldn't hear, but now that we can tune it in right, now, now we hear it. So it's new. What does that mean? Well, among other things, it means that what was old was good as it was, but it was incomplete. God did not bring this new revelation because the old one was sufficient. Because the old one was adequate. Because we just needed to get a little more light shed on the situation. No, in Christ, God is doing a new thing, Paul says. How is he doing this? Through those very writings in which he hid this mystery. On whose authority? By the command of the eternal God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Holy One of Israel. The one true God of the universe. The God who spoke all things into being. At this God's command, this revelation has now come. And why has it come? so that you can go to heaven when you die. Is that what he says? No. This has come so that all nations might believe and obey him. And here we have Paul wrapping up at the end with the very things he said at the beginning. Go back to the very beginning of Romans. What did Paul say? Paul, a servant of Jesus, of Christ, Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And that's the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son. Does this sound familiar at all? Who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of Holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the nations. If your NIV says Gentiles here, that's very unhelpful. Cross it out and write nations. It's okay. Cross it out and write nations. The same word here as we have in the end of Romans. Same word in the beginning as in the doxology, ethne. So it's okay. The lightning will not hit you if you correct the translation. We received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the nations. Or if you like, at the end in the the doxology, you can cross out nations and put Gentiles. It doesn't matter to me. Just They should say the same thing because they say the same thing in the Greek. To call them to the obedience of faith. And you too are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. God's agenda is not just about saving individual people from eternal damnation, justly merited on account of their sin. It includes that, don't get me wrong. But the story that God's writing is way bigger than just you and your junk. It includes you and your junk. That gets sorted out. But the story God is telling is way bigger. Because God is on a mission of cosmic reconciliation. You're part of that but you're just part of that. God is working out the salvation of the whole world. If you go way back, way back, way back to Genesis 12, what does God say to Abraham? Abram at the time. He says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make you into a great nation I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here, Paul says, here in Jesus Christ, God is making good on that promise. Through Jesus, Abram's descendant, Jesus, the true Israelite, the one who, who was faithful, entirely faithful to the Torah that God gave. Through him, God is blessing all the nations. Which is why it makes perfect sense that throughout Romans, Paul's talking about how this story he's telling about Jesus fits with the parts of the story that involved Abraham, that involved the other patriarchs, Isaac, it involved Jacob, David, before him Moses, who gave us Torah, and yes, in that extended meditation in chapters 9 through 11 on what this means for God's relationship with his people Israel and the promises that he made to them, God says, yeah, God, God's not unfaithful to his promises. His gifts, his calling, they are irrevocable. He Is not for a minute going back on what he said he would do, but he is doing something through that that you did not expect. He's doing through something through that that you could not have imagined. Just think about it for a moment. How cool would it have been to be Isaiah and to find out what he was writing about? Isaiah had Isaiah, I believe did not know that he was writing about Messiah. When he wrote all those verses about the suffering servant, I think he went, "Huh? Oh, oh! I see how that works. Nicely done. I, you you hid that in there, but then you revealed it. Nice, nice work." The point of calling his people, Paul says, was not just so that that one people would have their special relationship with God. He called a people to be God's agents of cosmic reconciliation. He called them and he blessed them so that they would in turn bless the nation, so that they would be his vehicle, the means by which God reached to the people who did not yet know him. so that to those living in the shadow of darkness, the light may come. And I don't know about you. I I find this to be a much more interesting story than just how I get to heaven. I find this makes a whole lot more sense of the first three quarters of the Bible that God gave us, which is not just supposed to be like the roughage that you eat before you get to dessert in the New Testament and you find out how you go to heaven when you die. This is a continuous story that God is telling. And here Paul is saying, this, my friends, this is the gospel. And it's the proclamation of that gospel and the fruitful proclamation of that gospel. That is to say, the the reality of that gospel lived out, that gospel transforming lives, that gospel transforming communities, that gospel bearing fruit in churches like ours. That is what brings God glory. When the nations believe and obey God, when we believe and obey God and when by our faithfulness others are drawn to believe and obey God, this is what brings God the glory through Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul was about. That's what Paul is writing about for 16 chapters. That is what Portertius had to scribe down for 16 chapters. That is what Phoebe by this point having asked for a quart and a half of water to get through this letter, has been telling the church at Rome that is the story that Paul is telling us because that is the story that God is working out. We're part of that story. Our own salvation, our own reconciliation to God, the forgiveness of our sins is part of that story. But it's a much bigger story. It's a much more interesting story and it's a much more exciting story and it is Whether we think it's more interesting or exciting or not, it's the story that the only wise God is telling. So to him be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.